Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Happy Friday to you. OutKick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton, the crew from OutKick, making it work behind the scenes. We say thank you to uh, everyone pulling their weight behind the scenes for us. Coming up, Bobby Carpenter joins us. We'll get back into the name, image, likeness discussion and go beneath the surface level discussion a bit, which is the surface level is NIL we know is available to players. There are... They are the boosters who are certainly helping recruit players to programs. But beyond that, the transfer portal plays a huge factor in all this too. And Bobby's been a, uh, he's been big on Twitter uh, pointing out some of these instances where at the 11th hour, players are pulling the plug and trying to bolt for a, another opportunity for a bit more money. He's not happy about a certain uh, Cincinnati transfer. Yeah. Uh, I noticed this week rusher. on Twitter, yeah. We'll get into that with, uh, with Bobby coming up in about 20 minutes. Uh, Justin Fields, uh, the answer here is yes. The question is, do the Bears want to uh, make sure they do everything possible around him? Yes, of course they do. But have they done enough in year number one with the new regime? Ryan Pels is the new general manager. Matt Eberflus is the new head coach. And generally, and we, we've seen it uh, here in Nashville, you see it wherever there is a new general manager in place and they're rebuilding, we Khalil Mack has been traded. Uh, they pick up draft picks. Normally, you start from the inside out, so you start in the trenches on both defensive and, and offensive lines and then work your way out to the skilled positions. But if you start to look around at Justin Fields going into year number two, and it was a rocky year one for him, going into year number two, they draft Valus Jones. Cool. But they've paired... Bayless Jones with Byron Pringle, and they have Darnell Mooney, who's been a hit draft pick for them from a couple of years ago. They have way too many tight ends. That's not the new regime's fault. Let's point that out. But they have a ton of tight ends, not enough weapons on the outside, and a a young quarterback that should be taking a big step forward in year two that I'm not sure if they've done enough as I glance at what they've done this offseason to think that they're putting him in the best possible situation. Their focus has been a uh, heavy defense, and that that's to be expected, right? With uh, Eberflus, a defensive-minded head coach coming from from Indianapolis, but they have done the the Houston Texans route, guys, which is of last year. They've brought in veterans on short-term contracts, and then they've lost Allen Robinson, who's now with the Los Angeles Rams. They've lost two of their vets up front on the offensive line in James Daniels and Jason Peters. And I'm not sure they've done enough to help out year number two, Justin Fields, to, to take a big step forward like we're expecting in Jacksonville, like we're expecting in New England. I'm not, 
I don't think of Justin Fields in the same sentence whenever I mention year two quarterback set to make a big splash. Yeah, how many Cole Komets can you have on your roster when you look at their tight ends? They've got like, like four. I feel like they have four or five of, of those guys. Um, it's very strange because if we went down every all 32 teams in the league, I feel like if I just threw out a team name, we'd sort of come to the conclusion of, okay, here's where this team is and what they're trying to do. And it's pretty clear what they're trying to do, right? Even though we talked about Seattle yesterday, it's pretty clear Seattle wants to bottom out, right? Not interested in quarterback. They're ready to get a quarterback in next year's draft. When I see Chicago, I see clearly what they should be doing, and that is doing everything possible to help Justin Fields, and I'm not seeing the action with that. So it, it, is, it is very strange, and it leads me to believe that I don't think they're out on Justin Fields after the one season, but it wasn't very good a year ago, and it does get you to wonder what is their level of investment in terms of everything moving forward based around Justin Fields, well, let's take based a, on what they've seen. Let's take a spin around the league, and we've talked about some of this, but not all of this. Tua has had an offseason of very plentiful additions and headlined by uh, Tyreek Hill. Zach Wilson in New York, the Jets had a fantastic draft. They've really concentrated on giving him people around him. These two guys are the headliners. Are they the guy? We're going to find out by surrounding them with good people we either find out they are the guy this year or next year we go get a guy who's already going to be surrounded by good people. Joe Burrow went to the AFC, uh, won the AFC last year. He had a bad offensive line. They brought in three veteran offensive linemen to cure their one big deficiency. Deshaun Watson, we don't know what his suspension situation is going to be this year, but they brought in Amari Cooper, who is a big-time wide receiver. Mills in Houston, I'd set Houston aside entirely, all right? Trevor Lawrence, Hutton, you've highlighted time and time again what the Jaguars have been doing. They spent giant money. I don't know if all those resources are good. I don't know that they're worth the money. But day one, practically, they were out there for Christian Kirk right. spending so much money that O-line. he didn't even have anybody else to we listen to. We can't say to. they've ignored anything. No, they, they haven't ignored anything. may not be the right call, Jalen but they haven't Hurts. ignored it. Jalen Hurts gets A.J. Brown. The best available receiver after you get through Tyreek Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams. Uh, Daniel Jones in New York comes out of the draft with Evan Neal, uh, uh, one of the three best tackles, and Wandale Robinson, a fast wide receiver, and I'm not even looking at their free agency moves. Kyler Murray is going to lose DeAndre Hopkins. They make a move to get him Hollywood Brown to assure that they're at least at the same place they draft the first tight end off the board. It's an odd move because they're not a tight end team. But McBride is certainly a, uh, a, a playmaker on offense. All right. Trey Lance, I would argue, probably had the worst. And he's not necessarily the starter yet because Garoppolo's still there. But I don't see that San Francisco's done a ton on offense. They've drafted some middling, mid-round offensive linemen. They've added some lesser-known They're possibly losing Debo Samuel. They're trying to keep Debo Samuel, so they're at least trying to hold things together. I don't know if you would look at Ritter in Atlanta and Corral in Carolina as the guys yet, and we're not going to lump them into this. So who's done the worst out of all of these people? Fields, for sure, by a lot. 
Now, and are you being contrarian? Are you saying, well, you know what? All these other teams are loading up around their quarterback. We're going to load up on defense because we've got to stop all these other teams, and we're going to flip this thing inside out. Are the Bears geniuses, maybe, because they're looking at it a different way? I, I think you can maybe make a case at that, but they didn't do anything so dramatic on defense that you go, whoa, while all these other teams are doing offense, the Bears blew it out of the water on defense. If they blew it out of the water on defense, Hut, I'd say, well, at least they're doing, you know, something different and you could see the shape, but they haven't blown anything out of the water. Well, I say they're doing them a disservice. Well, it's partly due to them. Chad asked what their investment is in Justin Fields. They are all in in Justin Fields. They have to be. Justin Fields cost them two first rounds and two fourth round picks last year. To move up nine spots, they gave up two fourth round picks last year and this year and this year's first round pick to move up nine spots in the first round and to use that on Justin Fields. And there was some rumbling that they didn't like what was coming this year, which would have been good foresight on their behalf. They they thought last year's second or third quarterback was better than anything they would have gotten this year. They they also can't, you know, partly addressing their issues, they can't fully address all their issues because they they didn't have a first or a fourth round pick this year. And they have significant issues on the back end of their defense, which they addressed in the second round this past, well, this past month. Paul, I, I can't say that the Bears are all in on defense when, they, when Khalil Mack is no longer no, there. No, right. I, I agree. Um, and also, they, they were all in on Justin Fields when they made that trade and did what they did. My only question is, based on what they're showing us, I'm just at, merely asking the question, a year later, are they still as all in as they were that night? or when they made those moves to trade up to draft him. Because, I mean, the Titans were all in on Isaiah Wilson as a first-round pick. Right. Things change over the course of a year. Well, also, this Maybe is Maybe they've regime. seen things that they've seen the guy more than anyone else. Maybe they've seen enough things to think he's probably not going to be the answer. Right? Well, There's reports already coming out of San Francisco of people around there, they're underwhelmed with Trey Lance, right? Well, that's the same regime. This is a new regime, too. So there's possible they're out, but they have to give him every chance. Well, they, they have slow-played Justin Fields since they drafted him. Even before the draft, they put out the, the meme on Instagram that QB1. went viral with the QB1 and Andy Dalton. And we all, I, I mean, I laughed at it and said they're, they're, they're dumb. And I would have gone with Justin Fields way earlier. But they stuck, they stuck to their guns. They stuck with Andy Dalton early on and eventually moved to Justin Fields whenever Andy Dalton got hurt. Um, point being, the jury is still way out on it. And it's, it's, it's tough to say that... What, what he's going to be working with this year is anything great. And that's Ryan Pace and Nagy. So, I mean, to a degree, he gets a fresh start. Chad, they've seen a lot of film, but they've got to get their hands on him and deal with him in person to get their real sense. And they're not helping him because he's not surrounded by much. Now, I, you know, you're right. They don't have a lot of resources to use. I can't imagine they're in much cap trouble, though, because they don't have a lot. They're, they're their roster's not well, talent. They, 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 traded, they traded away Khalil Mack in order to get more draft capital. Yeah. You know, to make up for what they're they gonna traded be a bad last team. year. They're, they're going to be a bad team. Um, and their division's not great. I mean, they should be able to get a win at least against Detroit. Um, you know, but I would think, you know, we've been talking about teams that will be at the top of the draft next year and, you know, joking about Jacksonville being there again. I, I think Chicago could contend for a high pick next year. And they have, some, they have some young offensive talent from last year's draft whenever they took fields, right? But they, I, um, I don't know. I, I always, I'm intrigued by new regimes and where they try to come in and focus on upgrading and how they start to build their version of whatever they sold ownership on whenever they were hired. 
And this is clearly a defensive focus. No doubt. And, and Chicago generally operates that way. That's why there's not a long – I mean, that's part of why there's not a long list of successful Bears quarterbacks, that and their failures on offense. But they want to be defense first. They're generally playing in the cold at Soldier Field. It's, it's the, the way that organization has operated for a long time. So they need to show us something on defense this year to, to show that they're, you know, at the beginning of something. They have David Montgomery in the backfield. But, uh, Chad, they add Valus Jones. What do you think Jones brings? I think uh, he was one of my guys, one of my favorite players in the draft. Uh, he called a shot at the combine and said, I'm going to turn a lot of heads with my 40 time. And he had one of the fastest ones of any player. Um, he, look, he is a catch-it-make-you-miss type guy, slot receiver. Uh, I think it's a, a good move for the Bears. I mean, that's the high end of where I thought he's going to get drafted. So I can't sit here and say, boy, you get him in the fourth or fifth round. That's a great quality pick. Uh, where they drafted him in the third round, I was a little surprised he went as high as, as he did. Uh, but I love Valus Jones as a player. We got some conversation going in the YouTube chat right now. Um, and Kay in the YouTube chat says, what do you mean they didn't invest? They drafted three offensive linemen and a running back. To which I responded and said, yeah, those three fifth-round offensive linemen and right. that sixth-round running back. That's <laughs> Quite the investment being made by the Bears into Justin Fields in this year's draft. Yeah, they went with Kyler Gordon and Brisker early. You know, that, that's, that's what I'm referring to here. That's the big investment. Yep, two that, secondary guys to start their draft. And free agency wasn't any kind of haul, right? Right, yeah. I mean, they, they brought in Byron Pringle from Kansas City. Yeah, who's a nice player. But if you're thinking about Byron Pringle, you're thinking third they have Equinemia St. Brown from Green Bay with the, the rare Packers-Bears signing. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's just it's, it's a thin roster. When you look at who they lost versus what they've gained, like they, they lose Allen Robinson, they lose Khalil Mack, and I, I see a team that's worse off, not, not better right now. They did try and just sign Trevor Simeon in case things go well, that's another Well, that's another sign that they're all in with Justin Fields. <laughs> yeah, that's is, right. is Trevor Simeon's their backup quarterback yeah. this yeah, year. So not, if he gets hurt, they're tanking. They're not trading for Baker Mayfield. <laughs> they're right. bringing in Trevor Simeon. <laughs> right. Uh, the, they're not in the Jimmy G market last time I checked. It's <laughs> yeah, Trevor Simeon is their market. They have a ton of tight ends. They, they need to deal a tight but, end. I mean, they signed O'Shaughnessy and Griffin, and who did they already have? Um, Cole Komet. Cole Komet. They had He's a guy that jumps to mind. He for did me. not do much for my fantasy team last year. Cole Komet. They had a couple of others too that are no longer with them. So yeah, they like a nice tight end. They signed Jas- uh, Jesper Horstead this offseason. <laughs> they know their tight ends in Chicago. Yeah. Well, yeah, just but, like uh, Cliff Kingsbury doesn't know how to use a tight end, the Bears are the opposite. They're all in on the tight end position. Yeah. Both teams need to feature. Can we play four tight ends? <laughs> The rarely seen four tight end package. I'd like to, I'd like to get some 14 <laughs> personnel. They call it jumbo both. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to add an extra jumbo to this jumbo package. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360 coming up. Uh, the, a guy who used to defend the tight end, Bobby Carpenter, is, is about to join us. We, we discuss players on the move through the transfer portal using NIL uh, to a, a much higher power than maybe what we all expected would be happening in May going into the football season. Maybe we see this in January, February, March, but now we're in May and, and players are picking up and, and headed elsewhere. We'll get Bobby Carpenter's take on all that next on Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie. 
your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. We say hello to Bobby Carpenter. Time to talk. Uh, I don't, I don't, last night I'm thinking, man, this is a, this is a skipping record. Name, image, likeness, and all the hassle and headache that's going into this. But Bobby, uh, it's worth discussion because there needs to be a leader or leaders that step forward and figure out the framework of which we're going to operate moving forward. We being college football and college basketball and the whole realm, it's a headache, but someone's got to take care of this before it spirals out of control. Yeah, they do. And I guess one of the, the most encouraging things um, that, that I have seen was the fact that you have Kliakov, who is the commissioner of the Pac-12, and Greg Sankey getting together, heading to Washington, and apparently it looks like they're trying to help get something done. Those are two of the most unlikely bedfellows that I would have seen probably working through this. I'm not sure what exactly they have in common. You know, the SEC sitting at the top of college football right now and really the main power broker, and you know, the Pac-12 is in a terrible TV deal and no one goes to their games. But apparently it looks like everybody's interests are aligned at this. And that, w- what was, that is what had to happen if you look at it where – you know, a bunch of people had to say, you know what, just because we can do this and maybe we have certain schools in our conference that can do this, is this ultimately good for the entirety of the game? And, and if you look at the NFL, you know, throughout the, the history of it, there have been teams you know, that have taken a step back and said, you know what, I probably didn't maximize my position right here. But in doing so, I created greater competitive balance. That ultimately grows the game. By growing the game, more money's flowing to the coffers through the TV and media and all kinds of rights. And so when you have that working, that's a big piece of it. And this was something that you know, Rick Neuheisel brought up today uh, to me when I was talking to him on uh, XM Radio about it. And it was just something that, you know, the competitive balance element, you know, is critical. And if you don't have that, you know, the, the TV ratings will fall and you don't necessarily want something to become overly regionalized. And so, you know, the Big Ten, the SEC, they're getting, you know, a crap ton of money. Those schools are going to be pulling in more than $85 million a year per school on their TV rights deals. Everybody else is far, far behind. But with that, how do you still find a way to make sure that there's some level of competition so you don't make this a sport where you're leaving out huge swaths of the country and you can find a way to generate consumer interest? 
And Bobby, I, I like everything you're saying. And while I think it's encouraging that you've got Greg Sankey in the SEC with the Pac-12 commissioner going to Washington, D.C., I also don't think that Greg Sankey's ever going to do anything that doesn't benefit the SEC first and foremost. I, I don't think he's thinking about the good of the sport uh, with, with what he's doing. He wants to protect the SEC. And in that way, it's unlike owners across the NFL maybe taking a little bit less money for themselves for the good of the league and the rising tide type philosophy. So I say that to ask this question. Do you think that we should be paying a lot more attention to what Greg Sankey and the Pac-12 commissioner are doing in D.C.? Or should we be paying attention to what's going on with what the NCAA is allegedly being asked to do? And do you think the NCAA is actually going to try to do something about any of this? Or are they going to wait back and let football and the conferences figure it out before moving forward? You know, I think Gene Smith's comments, when you look at it, and you heard him talking out in Scottsdale about maybe it's time that we look at some of the teams that are willing to make and schools that are willing to make you know an 85 scholarship commitment to football. Maybe they should kind of govern themselves. And so I would I would look at Greg Sankey and George Klayakoff and what they're ultimately doing in Washington because I know this about Gene Smith. He doesn't usually throw his weight around. He doesn't speak out of turn, and he's not going to say anything off the cuff. And it's it's going to be some you know. A, something that's misconstrued, you know, maybe like, you know, some prominent politicians might do. He's going to be very measured with what he says. And so the fact that he said that and talked about it means he's consulted other conference commissioners. He's talked to people within his conference, his coaches, his presidents, his ADs. He's probably talked to people outside of that. And to make sure that when he says this, he's floating out a little bit of a trial balloon. He he can be the most powerful in the person before and so it's going to be up to him and you know his ability to what ultimately he can say and what ultimately he can do. College football playoff panel, I, I mean, I'm all for a governing body for college football. It's, it's not that group. They all have other jobs. Yeah, you've got, you've got to find a way ultimately to have people that are doing this full time. It's not going to be a situation where Hey, you be a part-time, you're an AD here and you're, you know, former this or former that you've got to bring in people and this is going to have to be their full-time job. You know, it's going to be a little bit rocky. Like, I don't think it's going to be smooth at first, but the only way to find out what doesn't work is to start trying something. And I want to go back, uh, you know, something that was said, Chad, earlier about you know, doing what's best for the SEC, Greg's sake. I believe that that's what he will do. But I, will, I do also believe that he listens to voices within his conference. Most powerful guy in the SEC outside of Greg Sankey and maybe even more powerful than him if he really wanted to be is Nick Saban. And Nick Saban had some strong comments about how things were operating, and he didn't necessarily like it. I don't think a lot of coaches really like the way NIL and the transfer portal is operating. And then, you know, Just because some people are taking advantage of it and you can build teams quickly and do stuff, I don't think – the majority of coaches, and especially the guys who are at the top who have been coaching for a long time, I don't think they really enjoy what they've seen the last year. And so if you have some of your coaches leaning on you saying, hey, I'm not saying don't do what's best for us, but we need to make sure you know that this is something where it's a sustainable product, even within our conference, to the point where it, you know, there, there have to be some sort of guardrails in life. And I'm a huge free market guy. 
you know, I, I don't believe in constraints in a lot of things, but even if you look at our economy, I mean, you have a minimum wage, you have minimum working age, there's antitrust stuff. I mean, it's not a pure free market situation. So I think you can integrate, you know, some minor little guardrails here and there that will make it better for everybody and will make it more feasible to build teams. It will help really everyone when you look at it. It'll help the SEC as well, being able to put that. So you're not, because the biggest thing people don't like to do is waste money. And the last thing someone wants to do is write some kid a check for half a million dollars who doesn't end up being a big, a good player. Like you do that once or twice. And believe me, donors and successful people that are wealthy, they're successful for a reason because they don't throw money, good money after bad. And if they hit on a couple of bad investments, all of a sudden it's like, we might want to reassess how we're analyzing this. And I think that, you know, that people are starting to see that. And you look at like, you know, Fansville with DJ Uyunglele and everything that happened. He was supposed to be the man. You know, imagine if someone would have written, you know, two and a half, three million dollar check to get him to Clemson. And all of a sudden you realize he's not that dude. So now you've got that sitting there and you see all that cash. Well, now you've got to figure out somewhere else to put it and bring in your next guy. And so I do believe that people want to kind of level this market out and figure out how can we find more, I guess, uh, more safe investment, something that gives you a little bit more runway as far as being able to determine what these players ultimately are prior to giving them these large checks. One big lane that has to be addressed is NIL. The other is the transfer portal. Bobby, from from your vantage point, there's certainly tampering that's going on and NIL is playing a factor in where guys are jumping off and, and going to. Recruitment's happening and NIL is playing a big factor there in the transfer portal. And we're seeing it play out with some in major conferences with some big time programs. How does how how does the NCAA how does college football just specifically get a handle on all this right now? Well, it's tough because you know when you've abdicated responsibility for so long, like the NCAA has, and Mark Emmert and. You know, instead of 15 years ago looking at this and trying to solve a problem, or even 10 years ago looking at this and saying, hey, this is coming, five years ago they could have done it. And instead, you know, they chose to ignore everything. They were politicians, and I'm done with Mark Emmert sitting there and everybody saying nobody was willing to help us. I know there are politicians. I have talked to them and said, hey, give us the parameters of what you're looking to do. We'll help write a bill that you know, makes sense for everybody. That's not going to be 100% what you want. We want to make sure that this thing looks good. And the problem is now you open up the floodgates. It's tough to tough to build a plane while you're flying. And that's what they're trying to do right now. So it's going to be really tough. It's going to be hard. The problem is now as well, I mean, you've got bigger things going on and more important stuff you know, than college sports. And so politically, you're going to be able to get everyone's attention to be able to pull them into this. That's going to be a hard sell, especially you look at, like I said, foreign wars and Supreme Court decisions and everything else. But, you know, I would say this as well with it. College sports, sports in general, have always been a great unifier for the country. Um, Because when you go to a game, it doesn't matter what the person looks like. It doesn't matter, you know, who they voted for, where they live, all those things. If they're wearing the same colors as you, like, you're a team that day. And so that helps unite a a, a lot of people. It helps dissolve a lot of issues. So if you have, like, massive issues with college athletics, something that people are very passionate about that can unite entire states that's not going to be good you know for the societal mentality as a whole 
when those things begin to dissipate, because that's something that's always connected everybody. So I do believe that there is hopefully some political will to be able to solve this problem. It's just, it's not an easy problem to solve. And you know what? Mark Emmert was getting paid $3 million a year to solve it. And so I pushed, put a lot of this on him because when you, when you sit in the big chair, you have to deal with the big problems. Let's talk about Jordan Addison specifically. Transferring from Pitt, a lot of signs pointing him to, to USC and Pat Narduzzi pointing his finger at Lincoln Riley and picking up the phone and calling him saying, why are you tampering with my guy? It's also easy for Lincoln Riley to come back and say, hey, coach, I, I've got nothing to do with it. You know, we got a collective. We've got people that are in charge of that that may have reached out, but I, I'm not doing it. It's not like the old days, Bobby, where a coach could call another head coach and say, get your assistant in line because he's doing this with one of my players or he's doing this with her, whatever it is and call them out on it. There's plausible deniability across the board now with college coaches because they can just say, hey, the NIL did it, not me. Do you think anything's going to come of this with coaches that are complaining about tampering, or is this just more of where we are now in college football and you're going to have to learn to deal with it? And see, this is why this is the problem that I have. Like, and I, I'm all for guys being able to maximize their value and get every dollar that they can, but I, I don't there's just feel something inherently wrong. Like, I had a great season. I want to, you know, I'm here starting to hear some phone calls. People are contacting me. I hop in the portal. It's just highest bidder, even in the NFL. If you guys think about this, you have to be vested for four years before you can ultimately get the free agency. You may have a great second season. You just can't say, hey, I'm a free agent now. I want to go solicit offers, and other teams can't call you and say, hey, we're going to give you $10 million more than they will. Like, that's, that's not how it works. And so that that's part of the problem here. I mean, I, people are operating under the constraints that are being allowed. And so I don't blame Lincoln Riley for this. I don't think that this is ultimately his fault. But, you know, with that being said and looking at it, I don't think that this is great for the game either. And so I, I, all, all it's going to take is, you know, Nick Saban said, thing about, said this stuff, you know, before, like you have – you know, your second receiver saying, hey, the number one dude at Alabama is getting paid more than me. And uh, by the way, Ole Miss is going to now pay me $2 million more than you are. Like, dude, nobody's going to – like, Sam ain't going to like that. Alabama fans ain't going to like that. You know, so whether it's Pitt to USC, you know, Alabama to Ole Miss or maybe to Auburn or, you know, Ohio State to Michigan, you could you could start having some of this stuff. And I, like I'm saying, that's the stuff that will ultimately turn fans off and will turn people away because it, it just feels like every every day is a game of game of roulette, and you're just spinning the wheel, going to figure out where guys are ultimately going to land. Is it tough for Narduzzi to make that call to Lincoln Riley when Narduzzi just took Keaton Slovis from USC and uh, and did so to replace the Kenny Pickett who just went to the draft? Well, knowing Pat a little bit, my brother played for him. Um, at Cincinnati, he's a Youngstown guy. He's an Italian dude. I think he enjoys getting gassed up a little bit and uh, making a phone call and uh, you know maybe letting someone hear a piece of his mind. So I don't necessarily think that he was going to be shy about it. I think too, you look at it, Keaton Slovis, like they, they were kind of pushing him out of UCL or USC. So I don't think it was under quite the same circumstances. But yeah, I mean there is a level of awkwardness about it where these coaches, like I'm saying, I don't think any of them really want to do it. Um, yeah. but they understand that that's what they have to do to ultimately be successful. And so everybody else is doing it. And so it's like, man, do I, 
do I really want to operate like this? I'm doing this to someone else. I know it's ultimately going to happen to me at some point in time. I'm going to be furious about it. And that's why I think, you know, when I, when I hear Nick Saban saying, hey, I want to deal with this stuff. Like, this is ridiculous. He knows that, hey, he's going to be on the winning end of a lot of these. But there's still going to be times where he's going to be on the losing end of some because you can't pay everybody. That's like the old NFL philosophy. You can't pay them all. Guys are eventually going to leave. And then you're going to be, you know, dealing with some of the same stuff of you're going to be trying to grab and replace. And it, it, you lose the continuity of your team. It's tough to maintain culture. There's a lot of difficulties with this. And that's why I ultimately think most of the coaches would say, hey, we'll sign. We'll, we'll figure this out. Tell us what the rules are. Because, you know, while we do like, you know, the portal, we do like some elements of it. What is ultimately happening right now is getting to be a little bit ridiculous. We spoke earlier this week on the show about Texas not getting a single draft pick. We did not speak about it in the context of 32 players from Texas high schools getting drafted, the most of any state in the country. Do you see a turnaround for Texas on the horizon, and is it based strictly or largely on on the move to the SEC? I mean, I don't know if moving to the SEC is going to make it really any better. I mean, Texas – is still the preeminent program in the Lone Star State. It always has been, and it is always going to be. You, know, you can say what you want about AM and Baylor and Houston and Tech and TCU. Like, they're all great schools. I mean, but Texas is Texas. And you had 32 kids that went to high school in the state of Texas who were drafted in the NFL draft in 2022, and zero of them or the burnt, burnt orange and white. And I don't understand for the life of me how that could happen, especially when two of the recruiting classes that were eligible for the draft were both top three recruiting classes nationally. So that means either A, like you're not developing anybody, or B, like your players dislike you so much they're all transferring because there's no way you're missing on that many guys to not have one. So there's a chance to turn this thing around. They can do it. But if you guys look, the last 10 years, I mean, where's Charlie Strong or Tom Herman, the end of Mac Brown, you know, we'll see what Sark can ultimately do. I mean, heck, they lost to Kansas last year. So, I, I mean, they're going to get players drafted. Like, that won't happen. But they're a long way from competing in the SEC. I'll tell you that right now because they're not even competing in the Big 12. So, Todd McShay, I saw the other day, Bob, he's already got his 2023 top picks ready to go for the NFL draft. And – Hud and I were eating lunch and laughing at the screen because, like, the top four picks were all quarterbacks. I think uh, Will Levis from Kentucky was a top four pick, according to Todd McShay. But the, seven in the first round. Yeah, the, num- the number one overall pick, though, uh, was your guy there in Columbus, C.J. Stroud, uh, ahead of Bryce Young. Um, how big is not necessarily the adjustment because it's not a new offense or anything, but losing Olave, losing Garrett Wilson? You know, two top picks. Uh, it was crazy also to see the three former teammates go back to back to back. But do you buy right now that C.J. Stroud is the better prospect than Bryce Young and what you've seen in Alabama? And what do you think about his level of prove it this year without those top guys that just went to the NFL draft? And I know Ohio State's very talented with what they're returning, but what do you think about that transition? You know, it's, uh, I don't think it'll be the most difficult. You know, Jackson Smith and Jigba set some sort of bowl records, all kinds of stuff, like 500 yards receiving or whatever it was. So they, they have players. They've got Marvin Harrison Jr., Marvin Harrison's son, like Julian Fleming, Mekhead Buka. They've got guys who are going to end up being first 
or second round draft picks at the wide receiver position. But, you know, you look at Bryce Young. I mean, it wasn't like he was out there with chopped liver. You look at Mechie and obviously Jameson Williams. Like, they had good players. Here's a newsflash. Most quarterbacks who are good have really good receivers. They help make them better, but it's, it's a lot easier to throw to those guys as well. So I, it's tough to make a call right now. Like, who's the better prospect? I've, I'll tell you, Bryce Young's more athletic than C.J. Shroud. It means he could be a better player because of that. I don't know. Maybe I watched him play. And he looks really good. He's, he's an unbelievable, upstanding young man. You know, I like a lot of things that I see about C.J. Stroud. You know, and, and you try to put all that together. It's like, all right. I mean, I'm just – I try to figure it out. I was looking at um, you know, some some odds of the number one overall pick on some different betting sites. And, you know, you see Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, one-two. You've got Willie Anderson sitting there at three. Um, one of them had Paris Johnson, Jr. of Ohio State at, at four. Jackson Smith and Jig was around there five or six. Like Bama and Ohio State had like three or like five or six of the top like eight or nine guys that were the odds on favorites to be the number one overall pick. And so I'm excited for this college football season. You know, there are two teams that are elite that are returning their quarterbacks. And when you, you have those guys coming back, it gives you a huge decided advantage. So I would like to see them square up again this year. We'll see how it looks. But I think both of them will obviously be front runners for the playoff. And I hope to see both of those teams you play in the final game of the season. Mike Vrabel got himself an Ohio State guy, uh, Nicholas Petit Frere. Uh, looking for your insight on him. Seems to be a guy with really good feet, maybe not the greatest punch yet. What's, what's your insight into what kind of player the Titans are getting here? You know, I, I think with a, a year of development, he'll be really good. Um, he's going to probably come in and compete for that right tackle spot. He's super athletic, guys. And so, you know, you're going to watch him be able to move. You know, he can get everything done. He's a very smart, cerebral guy. He was a five-star dude coming out of high school. You know, he's had problems keeping his weight on. And now he's been maintaining over 300 pounds. And the big thing, too, as you get older, as every one of us knows sitting here, it's easier to hold weight, and it's much harder to lose it. So, you know, he's got that going for him. Um, but there are they're, – they're just concerned, obviously, about the weight. But he's super athletic. And the one thing I know about Mike Vrabel, man, like Mike Vrabel coaches dudes hard. They want a tough physical team. He's not going to sit there and soft serve anybody. And you got Taylor Watt on the other side, who I think is one of the toughest dudes you're going to find. Great role model. They do a good job of developing toughness up front. And I think you'll begin to see that kind of develop in him. But I think he could be one of the steals of the draft when you look at where he was ultimately taken and like the upside and skill set, where in two years, three years, you could talk about him being one of the better right tackles in the NFL. Bobby, have you been to the Kentucky Derby? I have never been to the Kentucky Derby. And what is amazing is my one brother coached at Louisville for three years and we would have had it set up. I've been to Keeneland a bunch. I love Keeneland down there. Um, my wife's from like the southern tip of Ohio, like all her friends with UK and EKU. So I, I'm really familiar with it. We love the Derby parties, but unfortunately, I, I have never been down there uh, to go see the Sport of Kings. I, uh, I have not been to the Derby. I've been to, we've been to Kentucky Downs but never to the Derby. I was just, I wanted some insight on, uh, on the hangouts, the drinks, the suits, the whole thing. But, you know, I'll have to look elsewhere. Well, I, I thought you were a, a, a man of the people. I thought you had been looks, to all these big events. Looks like we'll have to ask Tom well, Brady or Aaron Rodgers about it next yeah. week we get them on. So, so no good you are you for will. us there, Bobby. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. Here's the one thing I will say about the Derby, though, is that it's something where if you're going to do it, you either got to go super high society and yeah. you're going to be – dropping some nice coin to be up top 
or you're going to be uh, you're going to or just slum it and go to go to the or uh, you're going to be like spending a couple grand to get seats is going to just put you in an area where like you don't feel good about anything. You feel like you overpaid (laughs) and you're not really where you want to be. But, you know, you're not really far enough away either from wishing like, hey, I should have just been down there and, and saved a bunch of cash. Or you're down in the, the infield with the SIGEPs. <laughs> it's well, one of the two. That's exactly <laughs> what he's saying. Like with the steeplechase here in Nashville, uh, you're either tailgating at a tent where you, you're you lucky if you see a horse all day. Nobody's looking right? for you're not. You're not even looking for a horse at steeplechase. Or you're with the high society, as you're exactly saying. You're not on the railing watching the race as the horses run by. It's one or the other. Absolutely. That's the way to do it, man. High end or low end? No in between. Uh, uh, this time next year, I, I just think, you know, we should have, uh, we'll have Clay get us an outkick box at, at the Derby and we'll go big. If uh, Clay's paying, I'll for, be there. I'm in for Clay like doing it. that. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Bobby, Bobby, appreciate Thanks, Bobby. you, man. Count me in. Take care. Have a great weekend. Thanks, guys. Bobby Carpenter there at BCARP3 on Twitter is where you can follow him. Uh, we spent a lot of time today discussing college football and for good reason with all the, the headlines out there. There is uh, some discussion about a big change to the college basketball schedule from the mid-major perspective that will play a factor on a lot of these bubble teams moving forward. We'll, we'll lay out what's likely to happen for an upcoming college basketball season. That's next on Outkick 360. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Outkick kick 360 rolls on college basketball for this upcoming season. It's going to be more or less exactly the same schedule wise, but what conferences have been receptive to, in fact, 22 of the 32 division one NCAA college basketball um, conferences, they're open to what Matt Norlander of CBS sports describes as a very ambitious scheduling concept that will pause conference play a few weeks prior to Selection Sunday, and they will play back-to-back non-league games determined by analytics and algorithms um, that will help solidify the selection committee on a certain team, at least in theory. The conferences would pause play for a full week in February. Every team gets one home and one away game. Matchups would be determined by an algorithm in late January. And this is for your, your traditional uh, group of five slash mid-major programs. This is not going to be with the ACC, the Big 12, the Big 10, uh, the Big East, the Pac-12. This is, for instance, they put a for instance out there based on their algorithms. What it would have meant this past season. Gonzaga would have played Houston. Colorado State takes on Davidson. Memphis plays St. Mary's. Boise State plays Davidson. Um, 
trying to entice the selection committee to consider teams outside of the big power bubble um, in the middle of conference play when all of the, in many cases, uh, Belmont for me came to mind, but um, with them moving to a new conference, they may be helped by this even more. Uh, The traditional one or two programs that come out of a conference, maybe you can get three bids instead of two based on a nice win out of a non-conference for a team that is is not helped by their conference overall in the middle of February. So the Zags in Houston gives Houston a chance to solidify itself better. No, it, if, yeah, if it were to pull I don't see it as much as Gonzaga-Houston as much as I see it as... Well, that was one of the example games. Yeah, so what's the necessity of that game? I, I see it more as like Belmont gets Missouri State. Well, they're, they're both going to be in the Missouri Valley, but... Belmont plays St. Bonaventure uh, or Iona, you know, with Rick Pitino. Yeah, or, because those or are Belmont two teams. plays Houston. Well, Memphis St. Mary's is a good example there that kind of gives you a nice differentiator of two schools that are. Yeah, well, the same thing with Gonzaga Houston. I mean, they're, so, but, why, they're, but Gonzaga Houston the are in the tournament. Yeah, here, let, let me, let's, let's expand so this So is St. Mary's. Let's right. e- let's but expand this out. Not a lock at that stage, right? And Memphis not let's a lock. Let's expand this Houston. out. The Power Six should respond to that and do their own thing like this. Pick a weekend, take all Power Six conferences, Big East included, and you could play a flex schedule where you get teams head to head that are on the bubble. Now some would argue, well now you're going to take the shine off of the mid-majors trying to get in, but then I would argue back, no, we're eliminating teams too. That are right there on the edge of the bubble that lose that game. Don't you already get some of that with the SEC Big 12 challenge? And that was going to be my follow-up point. Why do we schedule that before the season? SEC Big 12 or whoever's playing, we should not know that until two weeks out. Based on where you are in your conference. And get some matchups that are actual bubble-bursting matchups in early February for certain teams. I think it would make it more compelling. Not Not that a bubble would burst in early February. You see my point. You're going to have a chance to get a resume win. And then if you want to, you know... They typically, in the preseason, they look at the preseason rankings and put teams together that are pretty similar. You know, Kansas plays Kentucky, Tennessee plays Texas. Games like that are going to happen. But I would be all for more flex scheduling across the board in college hoops and not just in these mid-major conferences. Well, a lot more to, be, uh, to come on that. But this is a, 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 an effort in order to get a nice win and non- another non-conference win after conference play starts for many of these teams where the conference play doesn't help them. More coming on OutKick 360.